0: As mentioned earlier, we're certainly thankful, each of us, that God has blessed us with the opportunity to gather today. Thankful are we for the health that is ours and the privilege and the soundness of mind to assemble and to offer our worship unto the God who made us and the God whom we love and whom we love to serve. We're thankful for each and every person assembled and gathered here this morning, and we hope that each of us will in fact be motivated, and our week this week will be a blessed one in which we can offer our sincere appreciation to the God of heaven. I would like to addition, say, to the ladies, don't forget about the ladies' Bible class that meets Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. here at the building. You'll continue a study of authority, and to some extent that at least will have a bearing on our Worship time this morning, at least in regard to the worship, the study we're about to make of God's right hand. God's right hand is an interesting subject, and it's one that not only is a challenge from the perspective of what is capable in light of it, but what bearing it has on your service to God in mine. This opening slide will be one that at least begins our consideration of that topic. We each know very well that, of course, God has blessed us with a left hand and a right hand. And as you study the Word of God, you'll find that the right hand is mentioned far, far more often than the left hand. Now, I would say there are some mentions of both the right and left hand. And you'll notice on that slide that some of them really begin to develop in these ways. There are 167 references in the Bible to the right hand. That's a lot, isn't it? 167. And yet, among that number, we'll find that some of them rather directly touch a mere choice, an issue in choice. For example, in Joshua chapter 1, the God of heaven told Joshua, Don't you turn to the right hand or to the left. Now there, the usage in reference to the right hand is merely a matter of making sure you don't veer off on the path that God would have you follow. You walk straight down the path of obedience, neither veering right or left. We also remember that Jesus was such that there was one thief crucified on his right and one on his left. Luke chapter 23. Well, all those are just mere references to direction or choices or locations right or left. Our lesson today doesn't touch any of that. There is something to be said about that which is possible and that which occurs based on the right hand of God. I'll go ahead and plant a seed of consideration in your mind. Would you prefer to be at God's right hand or at His left hand? And we're going to find that that will, of course, have something very careful to say about our choices in life and not only that, where we shall end up at the judgment. But let's close that slide and note this. We're going to appreciate that there is great authority, great power, great sovereignty to be had at the right hand of God. Let's start that study this way. I'm going to begin it with a rather interesting Old Testament consideration. You might want to be turning to Genesis 48. As we revisit that interesting Old Testament passage, we'll find there a rather remarkable reference to the right hand. Genesis chapter 48. Now this slide is a very brief one in the sense that we won't read nearly all of the events of that chapter, nor will we even make immediate reference to them. But I'm just going to just highlight them enough to appreciate the occurrence of the right hand. At that time, Jacob was a very old man. In fact, he was soon to pass away. But before he did, he in fact called his sons and he pronounced blessings and in fact statements of prophecy upon them. But something unusual occurred in chapter 48. For there, Joseph, you might recall his 11th son, but the oldest son of Rachel. But Joseph by that point had two sons. The older one was named Manasseh, the younger one was named Ephraim. And in fact, Joseph brought them before Jacob so that Jacob could pronounce statements of blessing and statements of appreciation upon them you might recall the scene developed somewhat like this. Joseph made everything exactly right for what he thought ought to be done. Remember, Manasseh was the older of the two boys. So, Joseph put them right before him, and he put Manasseh in such a way that he would end up before Jacob in Jacob's right hand. But he had Ephraim positioned so that he would appear before Jacob, on his left hand, because he thought that surely the older of the two would be blessed. Now, I'll go back to this slide in just a moment, but I thought you might want to appreciate this picture. I found this picture someone had painted, or at least put before us, as Joseph got the boys ready and presented them before his own father, Jacob. He presented them in such a way that He presumed the blessing that would be given to Manasseh as the older would be from the right hand of Jacob onto the boy. And so he prepared them that way, but much to his chagrin and much to his disapproval, Jacob didn't go along with it. Notice in the picture, Jacob's hands are crossed. You see, Joseph had it backward. It was his understanding and his belief that the older of the two, namely Manasseh, should be the one that had the blessing. And despite the fact that Jacob was nearly blind by this point, he knew enough to cross his hands and he put the blessing upon Ephraim. He put the greater blessing upon the younger boy, Ephraim, and he did so by doing what Joseph did not want done. In fact, Joseph, as you'll notice in the reading that scene, he, in fact, questioned his father. Father, not so. The older boy is the one in your that you need to pronounce the blessing upon. And it was in that regard that Jacob had to correct his own son Joseph, not so, my son. Although Manasseh will be great, Ephraim will be greater than he. And he pronounced the blessing on the younger, crossing his arms in the process may I say, there's something to be said about the right hand. Jacob understood it. Joseph understood it. Now, maybe the boys were too young to understand it, but there was something about the sovereignty, the power, the statement and the blessing that came from the right hand. And the ancient patriarch Jacob knew a lot about it. As we go back to that previous slide... You may notice then that here was one scene when the right hand played a significant role. And it was not just a matter in direction. The boy that was touched by the right hand of Jacob, namely Ephraim, he was the one to receive the greater blessing. He was the one to receive the pronouncement available from the age of Jacob at that time. There's something unique, something special, something powerful about the right hand. With that, note the bottom. That isn't the only time, of course, in scripture that the events of the right hand played a significant role. The time came that as Solomon ascended the throne of Israel. The text in 1 Kings chapter 2 says he prepared a place at his right hand for his mother Bathsheba. You might again notice he didn't prepare it at his left hand, it was at his right hand. The right hand has been a symbol of authority. It has been a symbol of presentation, a symbol of the right to rule, and a symbol of recipients of blessing. Now all of that has been true about humanity in many ways. I wonder about God. As we transition the slide on to this next one, I'd like to suggest that we do not forget this truth developed in a number of ways in the Word of God there is something to be noted about power and majesty and absolute authority that occurs with regard to the right hand of God. Let's look at a few of these passages. You and I are well aware that in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, there is a great creation record given to us. Days 1 through 6, a marvelous consideration of creation, wherein God spoke things into existence. Light on day one, all the way up to the human family on day number six. And as those things are brought before us, and as their truth and their existence is highlighted, may I ask us to note this interesting statement in Isaiah 48, verse number 13. Now remember, this is all about the creation. But what does God say in that verse about His right hand? His right hand in relation to the creation, Isaiah 48 Only verse 13 will be the point of our observation. That verse reads as follows. "'Mine hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand hath spanned the heavens. When I call unto them, they stand up together.'" It's a remarkable thing to appreciate that in regard to the creation, you remember on day number two it says God created a firmament and He spoke it into existence, but Isaiah adds an additional record. God stretched out His right hand as He brought that firmament into existence. Did you notice? It was the right hand. And the great power that proceeded from it led to the stretching out of the heavens and the spanning of them apparently on that second day of creation, God's right hand. In addition to that, let's notice a few things from the book of Exodus about the appearance of that right hand. Would you go back to Exodus, particularly chapter number 14. The scene there again is a very telling one. The children of Israel have come out of Egyptian bondage. They have journeyed a little distance, but the Red Sea stands before them. Soon, of course, the Egyptians proceed to pursue them. And you and I recall what happens. A rod is, in fact, extended, the waters of the Red Sea are parted, and the children of Israel proceed through on dry land. But may I invite you to notice, as a record of that event is presented to us in chapter 15, look at what verse 6 says. Exodus 15, verse number 6 Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. Did you notice? It was not the left hand of God referenced, it was the right hand. Here, when that Red Sea was parted, and when the Egyptians were ultimately drowned in that sea, the effect, the power, and the consequence was attributed to God's right hand. Look later on in that chapter, six verses later, at verse number 12. Thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. You and I have often, I'm sure, imagined those Red Sea waters as they were parted for the children of Israel. But then when the Egyptians entered into that, the waters came together. And this verse attributes it to the right hand of God. Let's look even further to God's right hand. In Psalm 44, verse number 3. You'll notice that as the children of Israel journeyed in the wilderness and as they moved toward the land of Canaan, several psalms make reference to the events there again due to God's right hand. Let's note only verse 3 of Psalm 44. For they got not the land in possession by their own sword, neither did their own arm save them, but thy right hand and thine arm, and the light of thy countenance, because thou hadest a favor unto them. You'll notice that verse says that the children of Israel conquered the land of Canaan by the the utility of God's right hand. The right hand of God so far is an amazing consideration. Whether it was involved in creation, whether in the events at the Red Sea, whether in the events attached to the children of Israel conquering of Canaan. So far, all of that's been attributed to God's right hand. Look at Psalm 78, verse 54. Far into that chapter, we have another reference to the children of Israel. This time it reads as follows, And He brought them to the border of His sanctuary, even to this mountain, which His right hand hath purchased. On Sunday mornings, as you and I have been studying the conquests of Canaan by Joshua and the others, you'll notice now later Old Testament record attributes those victories to God's right hand. God did it through the people. I hope each of us are gaining a feeling so far that the left hand has not been the one mentioned. To my knowledge, nowhere in the Bible does it refer to God's left hand but many times His right hand is referenced and the power attached to it, the sovereignty and the authority attached to it. They're going to be developed quite a bit a little bit later in the lesson this morning. Maybe two more thoughts on that slide. In Psalm 77 verse number 10, there's an interesting commandment given. May I say commandment in a very interesting way because here's what it says. And I said, this is my infirmity. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. The psalmist said, I need to never forget the years of the right hand of God. Now may I ask that you and I keep in mind, that's a very poetic statement. The years of God's right hand. That leads me to ask you to note the great victory of Psalm 98.1. One more time, God's right hand. May I say, God's right hand is a hand of victory. It never loses. It's a hand of conquest and a hand of authority and a hand of power. The victory at His right hand. One more thing. Brother Colonel read earlier from Psalm 118, God's right hand does valiantly. That means it does victoriously. It does successfully. It does with great consequence and it does with majesty. God's right hand. We've developed a lot of things about God's right hand and you may want to do some additional study on your own. But that passage, that set of verses was about the power. Now I'd like you to consider the blessings available from God's right hand. This list you may well begin to appreciate in a dramatic way and I'd like to ask us to consider that Although Thanksgiving we celebrated as a holiday the other day, may you and I keep in mind year-round the appreciation of the blessings from God's right hand. Let's start like this. In Psalm 1611, early on in the book of Psalms, here's a passage that's worthy of some serious consideration for the following reason. Listen to how it applies to you and me and the blessings that God makes available. Thou wilt show me the path of life. Are you and I living? Sure we are. In thy presence, that's God's presence, is fullness of joy. Do you have joy in your life? Are there a lot of things that are good and noble? Notice who they're from, closing part of the verse. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Every pleasure you and I ever enjoy. Every good thing that comes our way. That verse and many others will highlight the fact they come from where? God's right hand. Notice again, it's not His left hand. Hasn't He been so good to us? At Thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. As you then reflect upon that right hand of God, turn over to Psalm 48, verse number 10. Notice how else the right hand is highlighted. According to Thy name, O God, so is Thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. Do you highlight and do you enjoy things that are righteous? Things that are noble and good? Well, you'll notice they're from God's right hand. In many ways, you and I long for an existence because we know that when we do arrive at heaven, there's not going to be anything associated that doesn't connect to His right hand. Righteousness. What about the next one in Isaiah 41, verse number 10? That Old Testament prophet noted one other thing from God's right hand. Let's note the statement in that passage. Verse 10, Isaiah 41. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, and I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. His strength, his fortitude... And notice again His righteousness all emanate from His right hand. I know that you and I have a challenge trying to Im- imagine what God looks like. Again, He is a spirit, John four twenty four, and we are not at least at this point because we're clouded in this body. Our spirit is somewhat concealed in a way. But yet as you imagine, God has a majestic right hand in from it come blessings, from it come righteousness. Let's look at what else comes from it. In Psalm 18, verse 35, may I ask that you and I think with some care about the daily attribute of our life. Because listen to this verse. Psalm 18, verse number 35, Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy right hand hath holden me up and thy gentleness hath made me great. Now David made that statement, and he there said, God, your right hand is what holds me up. Do you have fortitude? Are you able to sustain in times of challenge and difficulty? Whose hand is holding you up? May I suggest it isn't your own. May I suggest it's the God of heaven and His right hand that has equipped you and me with that which allows us to sustain and to uphold. What about Psalm 17, verse 7? The psalmist, again, maybe the same page in your Bible, makes this statement. Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand, them which put their trust in thee, those that rise up against them. David there said, God, your right hand saves those people that trust in you you and I realize there is a great enemy that we face. Deliverance is due to God's right hand. You may notice in Psalm 20, verse number 6, this interesting statement again about salvation from God's right hand is made. Now know I that the Lord saveth His anointed. He will hear Him from His holy heaven with a saving strength of His right hand. God's right hand. What a saving strength it has. One more verse, Psalm 60, verse number 5. This one reads much more interestingly in the following way. Psalm 60, verse 5, "...that thy beloved may be delivered, save with thy right hand and hear me." You'll notice that David had a heart that was so desirous of knowing the salvation that God's right hand would bring. But it is only reserved, that salvation, for those that trust in Him and those that will do what He says. The right hand of God, you see, not only brings righteousness and not only brings salvation. What about judgment? I suspect this attribute of God's right hand is not quite so pleasant to many. But the Bible does develop it in some detail. Why don't we begin in Psalm 21 verse 8. Listen to what's available here from God's right hand. Psalm 21, verse number 8. Thine hand shall find out all thine enemies. Thy right hand shall find out those that hate thee. That person who maybe claims to have an interest in God, the text says God's right hand is going to discern the truth. And His right hand will ultimately make the final decree relative to the behavior and the actual choices of that person God's right hand. Let's add to that Habakkuk 2 verse 16. Late in the Old Testament, this statement again from the book of Habakkuk is rather telling. I'd like to read it in your your hearing this morning. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse number 16. They are filled with shame for glory. Drink thou also, and let thy foreskin be uncovered. The cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned unto thee, and shameful spewing shall be on thy glory. That passage, you see, is about God's judgment upon the Chaldeans. They were a wicked and ungodly people. And there the prophet said, God's going to unleash His right hand of of vengeance and judgment upon them. Why don't we come to this? God's right hand is a notable place of authority. I suspect we've already seen that in the episodes surrounding the Red Sea. But Deuteronomy 33 verse number 2 says it in a very dramatic way. Deuteronomy 33 verse number 2, near the end of that book, could I invite you to listen to these famous words that God stated, of course, through the man Moses. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them. He shined forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of saints. From his right hand went a fiery law for them. Now you and I know the fiery law was the law of Moses, and that verse says that God's right hand is what brought it about. The entirety of the law of Moses... The Ten Commandments and all the things that went with that law, that fiery law, came from God's right hand. No wonder it's a place of authority. No wonder it's a place of majesty and a place of great demand. One last thing on that slide, that unforgettable scene of Revelation 5. When you and I have studied the Revelation, it's an image that perhaps is indelibly imprinted in our mind. God is sitting on the throne And there's a book in His right hand. It's a book that's sealed seven times, written on both inside and out. But you'll notice again the book's in His right hand. Isn't it amazing Then in the next chapter we learn that the great Son, Jesus, of course, is worthy to open the seals to take that book and to loose its contents. But that book is in the Lord's right hand. And in that right hand we find the majesty and authority attached to the revelation of what's going to happen all through the matter of time. Oh, what a place of authority that, that right hand is. May I say that having developed all of that, we're going to use the remainder of the lesson by and large to paint a dramatic picture of Jesus in relation to, the, to God's right hand and then make applications to your life and mine. Let's begin by, perhaps somewhat quickly, Noting, and I've listed a lot of verses for your consideration. As you and I step through them, let's begin like this. In Psalm 110 in the Old Testament, there was a prophecy made that there was to be a notable appearance of the Anointed One at God's right hand. Now, that Anointed One is Jesus, and there the Old Testament had prophesied He would appear and reign. In regal and royal splendor at the right hand of the Father in heaven. But with that, might we note these applications of it. In Matthew 26, verse 64, this was in the scene surrounding those hours leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus specifically told the high priest, remember, they were looking for false witnesses against Him. They were looking for something they could use to put Him to death. The time came, and you can imagine, every mouth must have fallen open when they heard Jesus say, Verily I say unto you, the time's coming, you're going to see the Son of Man sitting at God's right hand. He was referring to himself. Now that high priest, of course, thought that Jesus was being a blasphemer. And he ultimately would use that to, in fact, decree his death. But not only in Matthew, but in Mark and also in Luke. All three record Jesus told that high priest, you're going to see me, the Son of Man, sitting at God's right hand. Let's add to that this. When the Lord ascended, we see something rather remarkable in Mark 16, 19. Where did He ascend to? We know He passed through the clouds to the ancient of days. But the text says He ascended to God's right hand. Notice he didn't ascend to the left hand. He ascended to that place of royal splendor and absolute authority at the right hand of the Father. Mark 16, 19, Acts 2, 33. Now to that you and I can add that rather interesting scene in Acts chapter 7. You remember that they were stoning Stephen to death. They picked up rocks and were casting them against them against him and Stephen looked up to heaven and saw somebody the text says he saw Jesus on God's right hand he saw him may I invite you and my to notice those events Jesus at God's right hand are full of appreciation in fact in Acts eight thirty four, the place of that right hand is a place of intercession for you and me Jesus is currently interceding on your behalf and mine at the right hand of God. When I stumble, when you do, when we fall and when we sin, as long as we're trying and we're striving to do His will, we have somebody interceding on our behalf at the right hand of God. I'm sure we each like to imagine Jesus saying something like this, Randy's really trying, Heavenly Father. Please forgive Him. Uphold Him and strengthen Him. But may I say, if you aren't trying, Jesus isn't making any intercession for you. If you're willfully disobeying Him and not trying to do His will, He isn't interceding for us. He did that at Calvary. May I say, in those lights, it is a place in which He is reigning. And that word is so special, R-E-I-G-N-I-N-G. To reign means He has all authority. The church is His. In Ephesians 1 verse 20, Colossians 3 verse 1, as well as 1 Peter 3 all of them highlight He is currently reigning at God's right hand. I know that there are many in our world today who subscribe to dispensational premillennialism that claim that Jesus is not yet reigning, and that is absolutely blasphemous to the Word of God. To think that He is not going to reign until some supposed thousand-year reign. He's reigning now. In fact, Paul said He rose to reign. He was resurrected and ultimately ascended to heaven for the purpose of reigning over His kingdom, and He reigns over it today. As you and I proceed onward in that slide, the Hebrew writer has some rather touching remarks to make about the right hand of God. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 3, "...who being the brightness of His glory, and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty in heaven." Where did He see it? On the Father's right hand. You and I can appreciate then that in all of these developments, the right hand of God is that place today where Jesus rules and reigns with such power, with such godliness, with such righteousness, and with such salvation. No wonder then in Hebrews chapter 12 verse number 2, we have this anthem that means so much to you and me. Wherefore we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside the sin and the weight which just so easily beset us, and run with patience the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus, you see, endured those things, but now rules from the right hand of the Father. No wonder as we close that slide, the New Testament speaks with such power about that ruling issue of Christ. And it prepares us all to conclude our lesson. And maybe the conclusion today will be a bit lengthier than sometimes because we're going to refer to Matthew 25, God's right hand. That right hand of God is described in one other rather fateful position It's a scene that we've each thought of so many times. Beginning in verse 31 of Matthew 25, all nations are going to be gathered before Him. All nations. And there's going to be goats, if you please, gathered on His left. And there will be sheep gathered on His right. Now we aren't talking about literal goats and sheep. Those are the words used to represent individuals, You and I are going to be in that number. And there will either be one of two places. Either you or I will be a goat on the left hand of God, or we shall be a sheep on His right hand. We've learned today that His right hand is a hand of power, a hand of authority, and a hand of salvation. And isn't that what that chapter bears out? For all of those on the left, He says, Inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it not to me. And he pronounced, into, Depart from me into everlasting darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But to those on the right, those sheep at his right hand, oh, how sweetly he says in verse 46, Enter thou into the joys of thy Lord, and enter thou, you see, into everlasting life the question does then come to you and me this morning. I'd submit to you, and I've tried to highlight it at the end, on that day of judgment, we'd better be at His right hand. If we're not, we're eternally lost. If the judgment were to happen two minutes from right now, where would you be? Where would I be? That question only you and I and ourselves can answer. We know what the answer is. Are you and I doing the will of God? His right hand will save us, uphold us, sustain us, and give us all those everlasting joys and blessings forevermore. But if we're choosing to be disobedient, that right hand will be a hand of wrath, a hand of judgment, a hand, you see, where there's going to be no making it right thereafter. I hope we each will think with careful analysis and careful consideration today because God's right hand is such a prominent matter in the Word of God. If there's anybody in this audience not ready to appear at His right hand, this song of encouragement has been selected and we're going to use it as a convenient time and encourage you to come. If you need to become a Christian, believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess His name and be baptized... If you need to rededicate your life, no better day than this. There will never be a better one. We would simply encourage you to come. Let us know that you have a desire to repent, make confession of those things, and we'll pray to God for you. We'd like to help you today. Let us know how we can while together we stand and sing.